Amen. All right. So this is part two of our series that we're calling Perfectly Fathered. Perfectly Fathered is the name of our series for the month of June. And this is part two. Uh, last week, we spoke on the importance of fatherhood and um, how the father wants to reconcile with us through Jesus in three ways. He's uh, legally, he wants to reconcile with us, which was what the blood shed was for. Um, experientially, he wants to actually experience him, which is why he sent Jesus as well, so we can experience the father through Jesus. And he also wants to reconcile with us personally. He actually wants the personality of God to, to be lived through our lives, which is the most intimate of all the reconciliations to where not only are we close to God, but we actually begin to embody uh, God's presence and God's spirit and God's character. So we talked about that last week, and it's, it's really blessed me. This message and this series, honestly, is, is very personal to me. Uh, most of the healing in my life has been from the the reconciliation to the, the Father heart of God. The Father heart of God has brought some tremendous healing and transformation in my life. So when I preach it, just so you know, I'm preaching directly to myself as well, uh, not just to you guys. Um, what we talked about last week, the fatherhood, uh, the role of the father being extremely important. We see this in society. We see this in the home. We see this in communities. Fathers really serve in a very... Uh, very important way, very important way. And this is a reflection of how it is in the spirit world, too. Fathers aren't just important in the natural when it comes to, you know, here on earth, but also in heaven. God himself is father. I mean, think, I mean, how much more important can you get to where the actual nature of God is father? Um, so for those of you who are fathers or who are going to be fathers, your, your role the essence of your role is godly. Like, to be a father is such a godly position. And no discredit to mothers and, and brothers and sisters and grandparents and aunts and uncles. All of them are serve very important roles and actual scriptural roles too. But nothing matches the weight of a father. And it makes perfect sense that God shares that title as well. And I truly believe that the church, we are qualified to restore the heart of the Father in our world. Um, the series of our, the theme of our year is I'm a life giver. And I believe of, of the many things that we share with the world, I think probably one of the most vital things is we share what it means to be not only fathered, but perfectly fathered. The reason why I think the church we are the people who are the most qualified to impart the love of the Father to the world. It's not because we're perfect, but because we're perfectly fathered. We have the best dad. We have the best dad. If you even think of like sometimes some of you guys might relate depending on how your upbringing was. But like I grew up with parents. I was blessed to have parents who were, who were married. And I had a, not only a father in a home, but a great father in the home. And growing up, by the way, my father is a founding pastor of our church, in case you didn't know. Pastor Alvin Love. But before he was pastor, he was, he was dad to us. And, and because our house had him in particular, I believe our house had a level of security, had a level of safety. And growing up, our house was a place that our friends could come to, and it would be 
a safe haven. It would be a place of, of provision. There was always food. Thanks, Dad and Mom, for making sure we have food in the house. There was always food. There was always safety. There was always security. And, and some of you guys had that, family's, uh, had that family, and you were that family on the block or in the church. You, know, you were the house that everybody was at. Some of you guys might have not had that family, but you remember that family, where it was like when you went over there, it was like, ah. Oh, this is how families can be? Wow. Because a lot of us have different stories. And the beautiful thing about the church is I think we're that house. I think we're that house with the perfect dad. We're the house where even though we're not perfect, you can come to our house. Because if you come to our house, there's guaranteed to be some food. There's guaranteed to be comfort. There's guaranteed to be uh, uh, healing. There's guaranteed to be safety. And I want the church to realize that that's who we are. We're that house on the corner with the perfect dad. We're that family with the perfect father. And when, when, when we realize that's who we are, A, our appreciation for our situation will definitely increase. And our influence and our ability to impart love and blessings to others who don't uh, have the same experience. There's a lot of people in your life who have yet to experience the perfect fatherhood of God. Not because it's not available to them, but for some of the things we're going to talk about today. So uh, the reason why we have the Father, in case you don't know, is because we have Jesus. Um, there's a scripture in John chapter 10 that I want to read. John chapter 10, 27 through 30. It says, my sheep, this is Jesus speaking, by the way. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Verse 29, Jesus says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. I tell you, he's the perfect dad. He's the best dad. Greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So I love speaking to Christians in here because some of us, either forget or we don't realize or we don't hear enough of just how blessed we are. If you are a Christian, if you follow Jesus, you have the Father. When you receive Jesus, you simultaneously receive not only a Father, but the perfect Father. Every single person here who claims Jesus has the Father in their lives. And it's something that, again, I want you all to realize so that you would have a greater appreciation for, for your life, but also so you can see yourself as someone who's qualified to share that father's love to someone else because you have it. You might not realize it. You might not acknowledge it enough, but you have the perfect father. You are being perfectly fathered every single moment of every single day. You might not be aware of it as much as we should be, but you are being perfectly fathered every moment of every single day if you have Jesus in your life. And that's a blessing. Uh, so I want you guys to know what it's like to be father and who the father is. I want to talk about a, a particular nature of the father that is very relevant uh, to, to us. It's very relevant to me, and I think it's going to be healing to a lot of people today. I'm praying healing. That's, that's one of the main things I'm praying for today. Um, the father is up close and personal. That's the title today. The Father is up close and personal. And I picked these two traits specifically because I believe most of the wounds that we have regarding the Father 
um, deal with the, the opposite of those two words. Believing or experiencing a father who was not close and not personal. Um, maybe they weren't close figuratively where they were uh, around, but you, you guys weren't close. Maybe actually, like, literally, like, location-wise, they weren't close. Some, some of your fathers lived in a different state. Some of your fathers might have been in prison. Some of your fathers might have been across the, across the town and to another side, another house because of your family was divorced. Who knows? Some of your parents, uh, some of your fathers were dead. They, they, they passed away, and they're no longer living. So some of you guys have experienced distance from your father uh, in proximity, and some of you guys have experienced distance uh, emotionally and mentally to where he was in the house, but you didn't have a personal connection with him. It wasn't a personal relationship. Maybe he uh, provided for you, but you didn't feel like you really knew him personally. And regardless of the... the uh, Deficit, whether it's in closeness, proximity-wise, you're not, you didn't live with him, you didn't know him, you don't know where he is, or you do know where he is and you see him every day, but you're not personally close. Those can form a lot of big wounds in your life. And the good news of the gospel is, all of us, regardless of the wounds that we have, when we are perfectly fathered by God, He makes up for all of the distance and the lack of personal connection that we may have suffered from with our natural fathers. And uh, that's good news. That's really good news. And I want to make sure that we, we really marinate on that today. So that's, that's a nice statement, but I know what it's like to be a human and I know that regardless of how true that is and how much you say amen to that scripture, uh, or that, not that scripture, that phrase, God, the Father is up close and personal, you don't always feel it. You don't always feel it, which is why I always make sure that I bring you scripture. I, my goal for Nashville Life is that we are a congregation that our belief is centered in the fact that it is written in the word of God. Um, because we all know as human beings, our feelings go up and down. We're not always in the fields of the love of God, but we always have to know that regardless of the feelings, if it is written, it is true. And my goal, we're almost there. We got a little ways to go, but I really want our church to be a church that because it is written, it is so, and our decisions, our decisions and our attitudes are, are stemmed from what is written first and foremost. Why? Because that's how Jesus did it. When he was in the desert and he was being tempted, he didn't go, oh, I just really feel that. He goes, it is written, and I'm hungry, and I would definitely like a piece of bread right now. But it is written that I don't live by bread alone. I live by the word of God. So, therefore, I'm going to make a decision based off what is written. That is my, one of my biggest dreams for our church, for us to be a people that widespread, generally speaking, we all live based off what is written in the word. So I'm going to talk about what is written. Yes, it's cool that God is up close and personal, but we actually have evidence in scripture. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. 
One more verse. Genesis 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the bread of life. And the man became a living creature. God, our Father, he made us. Our Father made us. Your Father made you. There's one thing to maybe if, you, if he had maybe, uh, you know, when, he, when I think of food that I actually make, like a meal that I make versus a meal that I eat that I didn't make, like it's a different experience. You know, when you go to a restaurant, you just order it and it's presented to you. If, you know, you're doing Uber Eats, you just click what you need and it delivers to you versus when I make it, I put so much more into it. Like, I'm going to the grocery store. I'm thinking about how long you got to boil the water and you got to preset the oven here. It's a whole process when you're making something. It's a lot more involved than when you're just ordering it in the drive-thru. God didn't just order us. He made us. He made us with his own figurative hands. Like, he, he took the dust and, and made us himself. It's like, almost like some of you guys who might make clothes. It's one thing to go to the store and buy a suit or buy a dress, but imagine making that suit and making that dress. You've got to go get the materials. You've got to think it through. It's a lot more involved. I think that's the word that I want you guys to think, walk away with. God is super involved with who you are. And with who you were made to be. He, he personally did it. And not only that, but then the scripture then says in Genesis chapter 1, 27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So not only did God personally make you himself. He made human beings himself. He made us like him. So there's this whole personal touch because honestly, God made a lot of things. He made the trees himself. He made fish himself. He made turtles himself. He made animals himself. But one thing that separates us from everything else he made is he made us in his image. He modeled our design after him. So that separates us from all the other things that God made. Like trees can't say that. Turtles can't say that. You know, flowers can't say that. And they're great. They were made by God. But what makes us unique is that we were actually modeled after the image of God. So that shows that not only is God close, but even in the very beginning, he's close and he's personal. We are a very personal creation to God. We are a very uh, personal uh, product. He, he, he designed us and he put a little bit extra into making us than he did anything else. So and I want you to know that's the origin. That's the beginning of your purpose. A lot of times we traced our beginning to sin. You know, it's like, oh, at the beginning, you know, we sinned. No, before sin, we were close and personal with God the Father. That is our original state. Our original state is not sin. Our original state as human beings is up close and personal with God the Father, being very close to him, very intimate with him. It didn't get complicated until a little bit later because that was our greatest asset. That's still our greatest asset. Human beings' greatest asset is how we are so close and so personal to God. That is something that sets us apart from everybody else. That's our greatest asset. That's our greatest trait. Our greatest quality is how we were made in the image of God. 
So since that's our greatest asset, that's the thing that the enemy wanted to sever. He wanted to corrupt. He wanted to sabotage our greatest thing that we had going for us. So what he did was he planted some seeds. And just to set up this next passage in Genesis, uh, God commanded Adam and Eve not to eat of this particular fruit because he knew that the results um, would, would compromise the, the closeness and the personal connection that he had with them. They were so tight. Adam and Eve and God were so tight, and he knew that that fruit would, would create distance that he didn't want to see happen. So that's why he said, don't eat, don't eat this fruit um, because it's not going to be good. And the main thing that's going to suffer is our relationship. Um, you will die. You will, you, will, you will be severed from what we have right now. Um, so this is what Satan did. The serpent, uh, this, well, Satan in the form of the serpent. Um, Genesis 3, 4 through 5. It says, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There are two seeds that the serpent planted with that statement. Distrust and distance. He knew that they are up close and personal with the Father. So let me sow something that's going to plant distance. Remember he said you will be like God. They were already like God. So he created, he, he, he created this illusion of a distance that didn't exist. He implied that you had to do something else to be like God when they were already like God. So they were already like this, but when Satan spoke to them, when the serpent spoke, it made it seem like they were like this now. And now there's more that you have to do to be like God. When in actuality, they were already like him. And then he planted distrust. Now, all of a sudden, God, who was extremely personal, really personally close to them, now he had hidden motives. Now he had things that he wasn't letting them know, things that made them go, well, what does he, what is he doing? And all of a sudden, there's distance and there's distrust. He severed the great God the Father, up close and personal. But then a few minutes with a serpent, and all of a sudden, distrust and distance are in the picture now. They eat the fruit. You probably know what happens. The very thing that, the, the God, that God knew would happen and the very thing the enemy wanted to happen, happened. And they were distanced. God went from being up close and personal to far and foreign. Next passage, Genesis chapter 3. It says one on the screen, but I, it's supposed to be three. Verse 8 through 11. That was my mistake. Genesis 3, 8 through 11. The passage is right, but I cited it wrong. Uh, my apologies. Um, verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden and in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9, but the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? So we see this up close and personal Father, for the first time, experienced distance. 
with his kids. And it's important for us to realize what this passage said because if you're anything like me, even though the scripture reads the way it reads, we interpret it sometimes as if they sinned and God rejected them and distanced himself from them. But that's not how it happened. It says they hid themselves. Adam said, I hid myself. And I want to give you guys some news today, and this is really the theme of the message is God didn't reject them. God didn't hide himself from them. They hid themselves from God. Sin doesn't change who God is. It changes how we see him. God is still the same up close and personal father that he always has been. But when we sin, the curse of sin distorts the way we see him. We see him, even though he hasn't changed, he's the same God that he was from creation. But when they ate of the fruit, now all of a sudden they saw him as someone who's far and foreign. Not because it's true, but their perception is what is leading them, which is why it's so important that we base our perception off what is written because a lot of us, are still trying to be delivered from that, that cursed perspective. God is close. He's personal. He wants to be with you. But we still perceive him as being someone that we should hide ourselves from. And it's really unfortunate. There's a, there's a story that Jesus shared that really sh captures uh, and supports, I should say, uh, this attribute of the father. And it's in the prodigal son the prodigal son. And we see a father who was up close and personal. He's got his two boys, and he's raising them up. They have all this land, this great estate, and they have inheritance. And the youngest son asks for his portion of the inheritance early, and the father gives it to him. And he takes the money, the inheritance, and leaves his father's land. And uh, in a short time, he, he squanders all the money and realizes he has nothing left. And he decides to go back to the father's house. And this is how he goes back to him. This is the son talking to his father. Luke chapter 15, verse 19. The son says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And I'm pointing out this scripture because even though it's written I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So many of us read this as if God is saying, you are not worthy to be called my son. I will treat you as one of my hired servants. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that, but yet we insist on interpreting it as if God is saying, you're not worthy. The son said that. That was his idea. That was his, under, that's how he thought it should be. We have an idea of how it's supposed to be. But it's not truth. We think for the sins that we've committed, what's right is for us to just kind of come in as slaves and, and not really have all the privileges because that's the way it should be. Meanwhile, God never said any of this. 
This is 100% the sinner's idea. Adam and Eve, hmm, we just sin. So it's probably best that we hide and hide ourselves from God. And God goes, where are y'all? Like, I'm still, I still want to be with y'all. Even in the midst of their sin, guys, when they were sowing the fig leaves, he, 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 he went shopping for them. He bought them clothes. He bought them clothes in the midst of their sin. He said, okay, let me go kill. Let me get some fur for y'all because those, those leaves aren't really doing much. If y'all insist on wearing clothes, let me at least give y'all some better clothes. Like, in the midst of their rebellion, God is still up close and personal. He's not going, oh, my God, distance myself. No, he's going, okay, let, let me get y'all a shirt. Let me get you guys some shorts. Let me get you guys. He's still up close and personal in the midst of this rebellion. Again, the people think we need to be separate because of what I've done. And God goes, who told you that? Who told you that? Same with the son. I wasted all my dad's money. I'm so irresponsible. You know what's best? The best is that I come back, but I live in the slave quarters. I live with the, with the hired servants and I don't, I, need to, I don't need to have my room. I'll eat breakfast with them. And the father totally ignores this ridiculous idea that the son has. And he puts a ring. No, first of all, he runs to him. He kisses him, hugs him, gives him a ring, gave him more than what he didn't have that ring before. He, he actually got more. He got a ring, gets this coat, says, kill the fatted calf, throws this expensive party. And the father, the son's like, this is, and so often I feel like that's how we are. God is going, I'm good. And we're the ones going, but no, it's just, it just can't be that, surely not. Just, just give me a little cot on the floor. He goes, your room is still here. What, what, why, are you, why are you acting like this? I just, that we hit ourselves. We came up with the idea of being hired servants. It was never the father's idea. He's always been up close and personal. But I'm telling you, sin, part of the curse of sin is it changes your perception of God. Sin doesn't change the way God sees you. Sin changes the way you see God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He is just as up close and personal as he's always been. But sin has convinced us that there must be some sort of conditions. We just can't fathom that the mercy is that complete. We can't fathom that the grace is that amazing. And it is. God never stopped being up close and personal. So what about sin? Because obviously we know sin separates from God, right? Sin separates from God. We hear it. I believe it. It's true. But again, like I said before, look at the stories in Scripture. When there was sin, if you look at the beginning, it was Adam and Eve who separated themselves. It was the son that said, don't make me son, make me hired servant. And the reason why the father rejected that idea is because, yeah, you could be hired servant, but that's not as close as the son. Like, hired servants don't eat breakfast with me in the morning. Hired servants don't go on vacations with me. Hired servants, I want you to be my son again. Like, I want you to be up close and personal because that's my nature. That's what I've always wanted from you. I've always wanted you to be this. 
again, guys, both cases I've shared before, Adam and Eve, they sinned. God still wanted to be up close and personal. The prodigal son, he sinned. God still wanted to be, the father, I'm sorry, the father still wanted to be up close and personal. Let's talk about the whole world. The whole world's in sin, right? Israel's in rebellion. This is before Jesus shows up. God, in the midst of the world's sin, God sends his son, whose name is Emmanuel, who means God is with us. So even in the midst of our sin, he sends God is with us. Because despite our sin, he still wants to be up close and personal. He still wants to be close. He sent Jesus to dwell with us while we were still in our sin. He died on the cross for our sins while we were still in our sin. I can't stress you guys enough. Some of us react to this as the same way that the son reacted when the father said, kill the fatted calf. We're throwing you a party. It's like, I can't trust this. I almost sense the distrust in the room. I just can't trust that he wants to be with me. I can't trust that he wants to throw me a, a party after, after all I've done. The father is constant. He's unchanging. His love for you is unconditional. The issue is we still see ourselves as orphans, which is why repentance is so necessary. Yes, I believe in repentance. Y'all should know that by now if you've been here. But the whole point of repentance is changing the way you see God. Repentance isn't God changing the way he sees you. When you repent, he doesn't go, oh, okay, cool, I like him now. He likes you now. When you repent is when you start to like him. Guys, God doesn't reject us. We reject him. Repentance is when you finally start to like him. The enemy has painted this picture as if we're trying to win God over. He's trying to win us. We're not fishing for Jesus. He's fishing for us. We're not trying to catch Jesus. He's trying to catch us. We're the ones rejecting. He goes, I'm here. I've wanted to be here this whole time. And I want, to, I want you to be empowered by this. It's almost like if you were in a relationship and you were trying to date a girl and you, you thought she didn't like you, so like you were... I don't know, whatever. You were just living under this belief that she has rejected you. And then you find out this whole time that she's liked you the whole time. And it's like, you realize the ball is actually in your court. So now you can just make a call because you already know that she likes you. Like, the ball is in our court. God is the one that likes us. He's the one that's asking us to sit with him and eat with him. And so many of us have been under this belief that he doesn't want anything to do with us. And we've let the serpent plant distance and distrust in our hearts to think that we should be afraid of him, that we should be hiding from him, that we should be shamed from him. Meanwhile, he's wanting to have a meal with us. 1 John 4.10 says, 
In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God loved us first. He's always been up close and personal. The sin is our wrestling to to embrace him as father. And us going, well, you know, and then, then, you know, religion, the the deception of, of, of the full relationship that God wants is, well, I'll come back to the house, but I'll just work as a hired servant. And that's not the full gospel either. The full gospel is the mercy of God restores you right back to your privileged position that you were always created to be. And again, that offends us because it's just, it can't be that good. But God's ways are different than what the serpent told us. Remember that uh, passage where Jesus was trying to wash Peter's feet? It was Peter that said no. It's us. We're the ones saying, we're the ones rejecting the, the lavish treatment. We're the ones rejecting the amazing grace. He's like, I'm trying to wash your feet. Oh, no, over my dead, but you can't do that. Again, we don't get it. We just can't fathom how someone so holy wants to wash our feet. It messes with us. And I don't mind that it's uncomfortable right now because we got we to gotta plant a seed. We gotta, I got to plant a seed that what you've been believing is less than true. God is up close and personal. He always has been. We hid ourselves. He didn't say, get out. We said, I'm leaving. He didn't say, stay away from me. We said, I can't be with you. And that's what repentance. Repentance is turning back towards him. I'm going to read some scriptures. And I just want them to minister to you. And I pray that they minister to you like they've ministered to me. One is Psalms 34. It's not on the screen. But Psalms 34, verse 18. It says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And I use that scripture. It's Psalms 34, in case you want to Psalms 34, verse 18. And I put that in there because it's the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit that usually believe they're the furthest away from God. When we're brokenhearted, we feel very far away from God. When we're crushed in spirit, we feel like God has abandoned us. But Scripture says that's when he's near. He's near to you even then. When you're brokenhearted and when you're crushed in spirit, he's near. Even though he might feel far away, again, guys, that's why my goal is for us to graduate from because I feel far away from him, that means I am. I want us to be a people that goes, I feel far away from God right now, but it is written that he is near to the brokenhearted. So therefore, I'm going to live my life accordingly. 
again, we're close. We're not there, but we're getting there. I can sense the church is maturing. I'm sensing it. It is written, y'all. That's, that's how we build our lives. Jeremiah 3.14 says, return, O faithless children. Okay. Let's just stop there. We read it like he's saying, get away from me, faithless children. He goes, return to me. Let's be close, faithless children. Yes, you're faithless, but I still want you with me. Yes, you're full of unbelief, but I still want you close. Return to me, faithless children. Not get away from me, faithless children. Get close to me, faithless children. For I am your master. I will take you. One from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. He still wants to lead us. He still wants to be close. There's another translation that says uh, he's a backslider. I'm still married to you. This one says return faithless children. This one says, hey, backslider, we're still married You didn't screw it up that much. The vows are still intact. I'm still your husband. That's what that scripture says in another translation. I think King James. It says, backslider, I'm still married to you. I'm still here. I said I do. I said forever. You you commit adultery how many times? Okay, Okay, I'm still here. Read Hosea. That's, that, that's, that's showing God. His wife cheated on him so many times. He goes, I'm still here. That's reflection of God in us. We are just painting the town red, doing all types of stuff. And he goes, we're still married. We're still married. I'm here. Again, it offends us because we come from a world of Divorce. That's our world. He must, if, 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 if God is like the way we do things, he would have divorced us a long time ago. We divorce even if someone didn't cheat. Our world is you divorce if it's not going well. So what happens is we let heaven reflect our world instead of our world reflect heaven. So we go, well, in... in well, I know all the things I did with God, then if anyone in their right mind would just divorce me. So we live around thinking that we're divorced. And God goes, that's not how I do things in heaven. We're still married. And that's weird for us. <laughs> just like it was weird to the prodigal son that he threw a party. Just like it was weird for Adam and Eve that he made clothes for them after they just rebelled against him. It's weird to us when God is still nice, still close, and still personal despite all that we've done. Revelation 3.20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he eat with me. Even though the Bible says this, we interpret it as, God, I'm at your door knocking. And if you'd be so nice, I pray you would answer so I can maybe have a, 
a, a, a piece of bread or a crumb with you. And we call that humility. Even though the Bible says that, we interpret it as it says, Revelation 3.20 says, come knock on the door and if God is not too mad at you, he might open the door and even though you deserve, even though you could have had lamb and steak, he's going to give you breadcrumbs, but be grateful anyway because you should be grateful after all that you've done. Breadcrumbs is something that you should really not complain about. That's how we read Revelation 3.20. Meanwhile, he goes, I'm the one knocking. I'm the one hoping that you accept me at your table to eat with you. The Father is up close and personal. Despite all that we've done, he's pursuing us. Last passage, and then I'm done. And I want this to minister to you. You can close your eyes if you want. You can just meditate on it. And before I read this, just so you know, this passage was written to sinners. This passage was written to people who honestly were even before the, before the cross. These were his chosen people, but they were still people who were rebellious against him. And this is going to, disclaimer, it's probably the, the, I've never given a disclaimer for something that's as sweet and innocent as this. But I feel like I need to because I think it's going to challenge a lot of you to take it at face value. But just learn from Adam and Eve. Learn from the prodigal. Learn from Peter. And stop second-guessing just how good God is. Deuteronomy 30. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land that your fathers possessed, that you may possess it. And he will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your foes and enemies who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the voice of the Lord and keep all his commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers. When you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law, when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, for this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say who will ascend to the heaven for to heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. Neither is it beyond the sea that you should say who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you. 
It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. If that father sounds foreign to you, I'm glad you're here. Jesus wants to reconcile you to that father. A father who is not only generous towards you, but the passion says he takes delight. He enjoys doing good things for you. He doesn't just reluctantly want to prosper you. He doesn't reluctantly want to bless you. He takes delight in it. Is it because you're perfect? No. Is it because you do all the right things? No. Did these guys do all the right things? No. Was the promise still for them? Yes. Why? Because if you look at the beginning, the origin of our story is not sin. The origin of our story is being up close and personal with the Father. He wants to take us back to the beginning. He's always wanted us to be back at the original state. The cross, the blood, forgiveness, mercy, all of this, the gospel, all of it was to bring us back to this up-close, personal father-son-daughter relationship. And that's available to you today. It's not far off. It's not in heaven somewhere. It's not across the sea. It's near you. It is right here. For some reason, the picture that I have of God right now, like, just imagine, like, someone riding your face like this. I feel like I need to just ingrain this picture in your mind. I know that's a little bit less dignified of a picture that you think of when you think of God. But that's your dad right now. How you doing? You want to get some food? You know, like, he's here. He's right here. So close. So personal. Your father. He's so close to you. He's so personally invested in you. And he's just waiting for you to believe it. And he's patient. He's like, I'll wait. Hi. That's your father. If you want to know that father, that's what Jesus came to make happen. He says, if you come to me, I will give you rest. I will connect you to my father. The Holy Spirit gives us the spirit of adoption, not as employee, not the spirit of employees. Spirit of adoption. The Holy Spirit doesn't give the spirit of employee. He gives you the spirit of adoption. He makes you someone that's the kid. At, I mean, raise your hand if you have children. Okay. Thank you. You are to God what your kid is to you. Honestly, it's probably even more intimate 
it's even more pure because Jesus said we are evil. If evil fathers know how to give good gifts, how much more will your dad give it to you? So, like, he's actually even more invested than you are in your kids. More close. More, oh, man, I love them. Let's stand. I want us to meet that father. Now, this altar call is for people who don't know God the Father um, in the sense of, like, you don't claim Christianity. You don't necessarily think Jesus is the only way. You question. You don't just, you don't think it's, this altar call is for you. I want you to know Jesus so that you can be reconciled to the father that we just read about, not the father from your nightmares, not the father that the serpent whispered to you about, that father. And my second appeal is for those of you who have a distorted view of the father. Your father is, your perception of the father is a little bit off center of what's true. You see him as someone who is waiting to open the door for you instead of the other way around. You see him as a father who goes, well, after all you've done, the best offer I can give you is I'll give you a, a good salary. You can have a room and board, and that's the best I can offer you. Be grateful. That's better than being in the pigsty. If that's your image of the Father, this altar calls for you too. You need to meet the Father that after you've committed the unthinkable, he's placing a ring on your finger. He's putting a coat on your back. He's giving you a kiss on the cheek. And he's saying, let's celebrate. If you don't know that Father, Receive Jesus today and let him change your lens. Let him renew your perspective to where you see clearly. He says he opens up the eyes of the blind. Let Jesus open your eyes to who your father really is. Repeat this prayer after me. Say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, amen. I wanted to sink in We've just accepted Jesus into our hearts. And according to that scripture, Jesus and the Father are one. So now because of that prayer, you've got the perfect Father 
that you never even thought was possible in your life right now. And I want that to sink in. Think of the father and the prodigal prodigal son story. That's your dad now. Think of the father that was sewing up fur for Adam and Eve to wear because he could see they weren't covered. That's your father now. Think of the father that says, even though you backslid, we're married. I'm in this. That's your father now. If you're grateful, just offer up a praise of some sort. Say thank you, clap, whatever you want to do. Express thanks. Express gratitude. Express it in faith. Even if your head hasn't caught up with it, express it in faith. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Now, let me tell you about discipleship. Discipleship is renewing your mind day after day to where the father that you read about in the word is no longer a fairy tale, but you're actually experiencing him. Your heart's there, your spirit's there, but the mind has to be renewed. You've got to get your mind there. You've got to start practicing thinking of God as being as good as he is, your father being as close and personal as he is. It might take some time, but it's okay. It'll happen. It's already happened, but your mind will catch up. I'm going to ask for those who are praying for people in the altar to come down. We've got some leaders here I want to offer. If you have prayer, sorry, um, if you want prayer, Please come down after service after I dismiss, and these two leaders will pray for you. Um, if you said yes to Jesus, uh, let us know by texting uh, yes to Jesus on your phone to 77411. And it will help you with some information, get you started. A lot of times it's a little bit overwhelming receiving Jesus. We've got some steps for you, so we'll send it right to your phone if you text yes to Jesus. Um, if you want to give, we've got the finance team in the back. They'll be happy to receive if you, if you wanted to give by ca- cash or check. Um, I'm excited for next week, Father's Day. I invite you all, invite invite friends, invite family, invite people. that uh, Invite everybody. Invite everybody. We'll be here. Um, I love you guys. I'm in this too, guys, just so you know. Like, it baffles me too. It's, 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 the love of the Father is just something so beyond what we get on earth so often. But if we continue to meditate on the Word, our reality will match the Word. So uh, I want to pray a dismissal, dismiss us. I'm just, uh, Yeah, God's love is just really sensitive to it at the moment. So let's just stay in that space. Um, Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for being up close and personal. Thank you for undoing any of the uh, distorted, contaminated 
views that we've had of you as our Father. We silence any of the voices of the, that serpent that wants to continue to plant distrust and distance. We call him a liar. We are free from his lies. Lord, keep us in the knowledge and the awareness of your grace, of your mercy and your benevolent ways. We thank you for continuing to knock on the door of our hearts, pursuing us the way you have. Thank you for being patient for us to finally open up. But Lord, now that we have come in and eat with these people this week, commune with these people, spend time with them, open their eyes, bless them, Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Have a great afternoon.